Everybody, this is Brother Frank, and glad to be here with you on the Remnant Call tonight. And um, I feel like we are uh, not only in some some dark times in this country's history, in the world's history, um, but I feel like the there's so much misinformation uh, on what it means to be a remnant believer in this hour. And I've done some programs through, uh, on and off throughout the years uh, on what is the remnant, who are the remnant. Um, it's not a cult. It's not something that, um, you know, you just you, you pay some money to get into. It's not something that only a few people know the secret of. That, that's not it at all. Uh, matter of fact, most of the studies that done from the Word of God come to the conclusion that the remnant are a broken people. Um, they, they've been downtrodden. They, they have shed many tears and, uh, they're burdened with the same things that God is burdened with in this world of the, of the sin and the reproach and the, but they're also concerned about the lost and what is the fate of the lost. And sometimes we tend to look at somebody who's doing wrong and, you know, well, too bad. I'm glad I'm not one of them, but truth is God wants to to reach the lost person as much as he wanted to reach you um, but if we're not willing to do anything about it then then they simply remain lost and I have to question are we really walking in the right path because knowing the heart of God to reach the lost then that would mean we would we would care about those who don't know the Lord um, but you've heard a lot about this subject of repentance. And I want to talk about it tonight because I believe this is something that we as remnant believers, okay, uh, we as those who are looking towards the second coming of Yeshua, Jesus, we need to understand it from the biblical context and not just something, a, a popcorn prayer we send up real quick, but in a deeper way. And I want to get into that tonight because I believe it is foundational for this hour that we are living in, it, we know that we're in the in the last moments of Earth's history. But I want you to come to a place of joy in your life, even in the midst of this darkness, even in the midst of your tears. There can be an inner peace and even at times a joy of that knowledge that you are in the hands of the Savior, that you are in your Father's hands and that he's got this. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, guide me as I speak to your honor and glory, I pray. Amen. If you've ever read Martin Luther's 95 Thesis, and uh, trust me, folks, Martin Luther had some serious issues still, too, in his own theology, okay? I'm not here trying to defend everything of Martin Luther, but God, I believed, used him to help people to begin to come out of Catholicism back in the day. But his very first point uh, on his 95 thesis, it, this is what it says. When our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said, repent, 
He called the entire life of the believer to be one of repentance. Now, that's a powerful statement, simply meaning that when God calls us to repent, he's not calling for 99.2%. He's calling for all 100% in this hour, especially, I believe, to repentance. And the reason we need to relook at this again is because there's a lot of talk and I hear things that are going on and I hear people in the Watchman communities and they're saying some things that are very good, very wonderful stuff. But then I hear them say some other things that I, I question why you wouldn't be willing to turn over that foul mouth, why you wouldn't be willing to turn over some of these things still in your life when God's calling every ounce of us unto repentance. Repentance in the Strong's is simply, it's, it means to, to think differently, okay, to reconsider. That's, that's a very basic uh, look at it. But I, I like to always look at the 1828 Noah Webster Dictionary because for me, that's kind of how I'm a King James lover. And not that I don't believe there's another, other good stuff out there. I'm, I'm not a King James only, um, as, but I, that's the Bible I primarily read. Um, it says this in the 1828 Noah Webster Dictionary, because that's the words that they they chose to best translate the Greek. If you look in the 1828, that's the original meaning back then uh, around the time that they were translating back in the, you know, the 1600s, why they picked certain words. Um, repentance is a change of mind or a conversion from sin to God. Isn't it nice if all of our dictionaries today would have God in mind when defining words. Isn't that wonderful? It's the act of changing course 180 degrees in the opposite direction. You see, there's so much more than only, though, just the act of turning when it comes to repentance. Because, folks, there is a theology behind the word, a foundation from which repentance must come from. Let me give you an example. When you were young and you wanted that cookie from the cookie jar, you knew you weren't supposed to, but you took it anyways, and no one knew about it. You didn't just very nonchalantly think to yourself, you know, that cookie was delicious, but I really think getting that cookie was just too easy, and mom says I, I shouldn't, so I'll stop getting cookies because that seems like a good practice. That's not what happened. Usually when we took it, we took it happily until we got caught and then when we got caught, then we were sorry because we ended up getting in trouble. Let, let me let me give you another example. Imagine Charles Manson sitting in his prison cell one day, and he says, you know, it would have been a whole lot easier if I would have just started a cult and been very responsible and maybe not killed everybody. I don't think I'm going to do that ever again because some people are saying that that's not a good thing to do. You see, that's just crazy. Repentance must come from a foundation that is deep within the soul. Nobody begins repentance with, you know, well, maybe I just shouldn't do that anymore. Because if that's where your repentance starts from, it won't last. True repentance comes from something deeper. The book of Acts in chapter 2, verse 37, begins saying this. 
Now, when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promises come unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation who afterwards devoutly and charitably conversed together the apostles working many miracles and God and God daily increasing the church then they they that gladly received his word were baptized in the same day there were added unto them about 3000 souls now this is the interesting thing about that sermon from peter these people didn't just decide, you know, well, after Peter said a few words, maybe we should turn around. No, Peter actually destroyed them in his sermon, told him, you crucified the Lord. If you actually read Peter's sermon, that was one hard hitting message with no punches pulled. It is not, was not a friendly, seeker friendly message at all. No matter of fact, it was the exact opposite. But out of that powerful sermon where he called it as it was, they were convict to the very soul of their being. And out of that deep felt conviction, they said, what must we do? And I believe that at that moment when they had heard that, that no matter what Peter would said, they were ready to do it because when a man or a woman is convicted to their core, and let me tell you what, conviction is nothing to be played with. When they are convicted to the foundation of who they are, they are ready to respond. I can remember at the moment when the Lord finally got a hold of me and I had went to church after that. This was 20 some years ago, uh, 20, uh, 1999. I went to church and I remember the pastor was preaching a sermon. I was so convicted at that moment. I was literally waiting on the edge of my seat. He could have preached off the back of a box of cereal. I was coming forward no matter what. It didn't matter. I was, I didn't even care. I wanted him to finish because I was giving my life publicly to Jesus. I was not waiting anymore because the Lord had convicted me so powerfully, I had to come forward when he had showed me the truth of who I was. Now, if you read more of the definition, the 1828 Noah Webster Dictionary, this is what it says about repentance. It also says this, real penitence, sorrow or deep contrition for sin as an offense and dishonor God, a violation of his holy law, and the basis in gratitude towards a being of infinite benevolence. This is called evangelical repentance and is accompanied and followed by amendment of life. That's powerful. That is powerful. Because truly sin at its ultimate core, sin is transgression of God's law. Now, you can say what you want to about I'm a new covenant believer, whatever. I don't care because that's a New Testament thing I just told you. Sin is the transgression of the law. You have broken God's law. Therefore, we need forgiveness and mercy, and that comes from repentance, from asking God to forgive us. Real Repentance and sorrow and deep contrition.
when we understand what it is we have done. They say Charles Spurgeon, one of the most powerful preachers ever, they said he never had an altar call. Yet they said more people were healed in his sermons than all of the hospitals in Britain. His belief was if they had been convicted on a Sunday when he was preaching, they would be still convicted on a Monday. And people gave their hearts to the Lord. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 7. I want to look and see what the Bible says a little further on this. Verse, starting in verse 8, For though I made you sorry with a letter, I do not repent, Though I did repent, for I perceived that the same epistle hath made you sorry, though it were but for a season. Now I rejoice not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow, that you sorrowed to repentance, for ye were made sorry after a godly manner, that you might receive damage by us in nothing, for godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. You see what Paul is saying there? He sent them a strong word. And he's not sorry for what he did, but he, 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 you know, he, he understands that the sorrow that they felt was so powerful that it ended up working good in their lives. You see, because godly sorrow, meaning when you're pricked to the core for what you've done, can transform a person into a new creation, into a new creature. You see, so often if we just, you know, if we, if we go and we get a speeding ticket, we're all of a sudden sorrowful when the cop comes up there to give us a ticket. Why? Not because we were speeding, but because we got caught. But as soon as he lets us off, we're like, whoo, dodged a bullet. We're back out, usually speeding again. Maybe we'll drive for a little bit slow, but it doesn't take very long. But you go speeding and you kill somebody. Now that'll change you. Because that'll wound you to your very core. And when someone's wounded to their very core, it makes a change in their life because the sorrow is felt deeply. And when we understand that we have truly offended God, you see, I was a drug addict for years, adulterer, fornicator. I have done everything wrong under the sun. And the only time I used to be sorry is when I got caught doing things wrong. But I was a good liar. I lied all the time. I lied so much I even at times would believe my own lies. But the truth was, it wasn't until God finally convicted me and showed me in 1999 that I was going to die and end up in hell. And the full weight and understanding of the reward of sin, what it was going to get me, I was convicted to my very core because for the very first time, I understood that I had truly offended God. It was like the Bible says in Jude, some save with compassion through grace, others save with fear, pulling them from the fire, hating even the garments spotted. The Lord tried to show love to me so often through people in different ways. But it wasn't until he got a hold of me one day driving down the road and he opened up my mind and showed me the truth and showed me where I was going to end up that he was able to pull me from the fire because I understood the absolute gravity and the consequence of sin, of breaking the law, of a holy God. And it was at that moment that he offered me a better way. So my concern 
especially for those of you who have been believers for many years and you're struggling with what's going on in in this hour, my concern for many people is, are you saved? Are you actually saved with the Lord? Do you have a saving relationship? And my second question after that would be, what are you saved from? You see, unfortunately, too many churches teach this false version of salvation. This, come on in and accept Jesus, you know, he'll make your life better. He'll help, you know, he'll give you peace and prosperity and all these wonderful things. You know, just come in and and say this sinner's prayer and you can just go on about it and just enjoy your life. That's such a false gospel. Now, I'm not talking about earning one's sin, uh, salvation. I am talking about when a person is saved, they have to understand what in the world it is they're being saved from. Or else you're just trying to get some prosperity or a gift or some type of reward. And that's called humanism. If you ever want to hear the best sermon in your life you've ever heard on humanism, go out on the internet and look for a shirt, uh, sermon by Paris Reedhead, Reedhead excuse me, called Ten Shekels and a Shirt. Best sermon ever I've ever heard anyways on humanism. It's an old school sermon from, I don't know, probably the 50s, 60s, and it is powerful. You see, I'm not trying to make salvation difficult, folks. Don't don't get me there. It's not something that's difficult. But without repentance, without a knowledge and understanding that you've offended God, I'm wondering what in the world your people are being saved from. I'm not talking about being miserable every day. That's not what I mean. You're not supposed to just be so miserable. Oh, Brother Frank, am I sad enough now to be saved? Or am I? No, I'm not talking about that. My question is, have you ever been confronted with your utter sinfulness and realized your desperate need for a savior? I, can just be honest with yourself for a moment. You know, as I said earlier, when Jude said, some save with compassion through grace, right? Others save with fear, pulling them from the fire, hating even the garment spotted. There are some people They just truly need to know the love of God. They've never been loved. They don't understand love. And that love brings them to a place to understand God's unbelievable compassion that he has. And that even though they have sinned, God loves them and is willing to accept them just as they are. And then there's a lot of the rest of us, the stubborn ones. It takes an outright confrontation from the spirit of the living God for us to finally understand what it truly is to offended God. You see, what happens when you have no godly sorrow, which brings about no biblical repentance? You begin to carry all the sin and the garbage of your life around with you in this new thing that you're trying to call a walk with Jesus. You see, when someone brings you to a church or wherever to the Lord or through some fellowship or whatever it might be, and they try to introduce you to the Lord, but there's no repentance there, you will walk through your life carrying an unbelievable burden with you. 
I remember one time I was preaching uh, down in this place a couple hours from here, and then this little kid was in the audience, and the ser- and I remember telling him about how God will, you know, will cast, you know, all of our, you know, like garbage in the ocean and everything will cast our sin like garbage into the sea, all the baggage we've been carrying. And this little kid comes up to me, and says, "We don't put trash in the ocean." And I kind of laughed, and I thought, well, at least one person was listening to what I was saying. You see. Most of us are carrying around so much sin and burden and sorrow from our past that it makes it so we can never live in the freedom and the glory of salvation. Old habits, past trauma, our jobs, living arrangements, secret sins, open sins, other people's sins we tend to be worried about. We often have to have reason to why we need to carry this stuff and for many it's never our fault it's usually somebody else's or some other problem that helps us to carry this baggage around it's interesting one book i was reading a lady said that that she drank because she was so miserable finally someone had the courage to call her out and told her you're miserable because you drink so often when we constantly blame all the other problems on everybody else It's because we've never actually dealt with the problems we have had. We've never actually dealt with the offense we have had towards a powerful God that is holy and righteous. And instead, we end up carrying this around in our lives and we suffer because we've never had true repentance. The kind of repentance that allows us to deal with us for who we are and lets the Lord transform us into new creations. So what is it that's weighing you down today? What is it that you're carrying that is so absolutely messing you up that it's wrecking your life? If there was something you could cry out for right now at this second and say, God, please take this from me, what would it be? You know, it's like this true story I had once read. In 1845, the ill-fated Franklin expedition sailed from England to find a passage across the Arctic Ocean. The crew landed their two sailing ships with a lot of things they didn't need. A 1,200-volume library, fine china, crystal goblets, a sterling silverware for each officer with his initials engraved on the handles. Amazingly, each ship took only 12-day supply of coal for their auxiliary steam engines. The ship became trapped in vast frozen plains of ice. After several months, Lord Franklin died. The men decided to trek to safety in small groups, but none of them survived. One story is especially heartbreaking, though. Two officers pulled a large sled for more than 65 miles across the treacherous ice. When the rescuers found their bodies, they discovered that the sled was filled with table silver. Those men contributed to their own demise by carrying what they didn't need. But don't we also do the same things? Don't we drag the baggage through life that we don't need? Evil thoughts that hinder us, bad habits that drag us down, grudges that won't go away. And because repentance is such a feared or mean word in this modern day society, some would look at it. Uh, We rarely find it preached anymore in the American pulpits, but it is God's gift to us to set us free 
from the sin that we carry. Luke has an interesting story. Luke chapter 7. Listen to what it says. And one of the Pharisees desired him that he would eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and sat down to meet. And behold, a woman in the city, which was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at meat with the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment and stood at his feet behind him, weeping and began to wash his feet with tears and did wipe them with the hairs of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the anointment. Now, when the Pharisee, which had bidden him, saw it, He spake with himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman this is that toucheth him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answered, saying unto him, Simon, I have somewhat to say unto thee. And he saith, Master, say on. There was a certain creditor which had two debtors, and one owed 500 pence, the other owed 50. And when they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him most? Simon answered and said, I suppose that he to whom he forgave most. And he said unto him, Thou hast rightly judged. And he turned to the woman and said unto Simon, Seest thou this woman? I entered into thine house. Thou gavest me no water for my feet. But she hath washed my feet with tears, and wiped them with the hairs of her head. Thou gavest me no kiss, but this woman since the time I came in hath not ceased to kiss my feet, my head with oil thou didst not anoint. But this woman hath anointed my feet with ointment, wherefore I say unto thee, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth Little, And he said unto her, thy sins are forgiven. You see, this woman had been exposed for exactly who she was. In 1999, folks, I got exposed for exactly who I was. A lying, adultering, fornicator, addicted to every kind of different drug, uh, sex, everything you could ever imagine in the world. I used to think pornography was something just every man did. I had no remorse, no repentance. I didn't care. But the day I was finally exposed for who I was was the greatest thing that ever happened to me. The day I lost my reputation, I had nothing left to hide because I was exposed for my utter hypocrisy. And here this woman was. She was exposed for the sinner that she was. She had no dignity left. Her reputation was out the window. But instead of running away from her problem, instead of carrying the shame that she ran, that she felt, she ran to the very feet of Jesus and threw herself down for mercy. True repentance, listen to me, brother and sister, leads us to the very feet of Jesus. It leads us to safety, even though the church, like in the Pharisees' day, may condemn you, even though that the world may condemn you, even though those who call themselves believers may condemn you, at the feet of Jesus, there is mercy and forgiveness. And the Bible says there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Folks, God is able. Are you willing today? 
You see, the Bible says that we are no longer slaves to sin. Come to God, confess your sins, cry out unto him, let him bring you to a point of understanding. Say, Lord, Father, I, I know I have done wrong, and I don't know that I even understand how I have offended you. But Lord, help me to see it for who I truly am and how I have offended you, Holy Father. And I'm telling you, folks, when you cry out to the Lord, he will show you and reveal to you if you were willing to let him and expose you so that he can redeem you. The forgiveness of God will free you from the deepest of sin and set you free from the heavy shackles of bondage because godly sorrow that works repentance is the most incredible and beautiful gift God ever gives us because it drives us right to the feet of Jesus. Now, the Bible is very specific when it talks about our Heavenly Father. In Revelation, it pinpoints that our Heavenly Father's throne is in the most holy place. It's in. It says, I heard a voice coming from the temple, from the throne. He heard the voice of God. We know that the Bible says that the mercy seat is his footstool, meaning that our Heavenly Father sits on his throne in the most holy place, and his feet are resting on mercy. If you will come to the Lord today, and you will throw yourself down at his feet, based on the very word of God, you will find mercy. And the baggage, and the fear, and the struggle and the worry about this hour can be left right there. The Bible is very specific when Jesus says, Come unto me, all ye that are weak and heavy laden. And he says, He will give you rest. For his yoke and his bird, they're easy and light. The Lord is not asking you to carry the fear in this hour. He's not asking you to carry the worry in this hour. He's not asking you to carry the burden of wondering, are you actually saved? The Lord wants to bring you to a place of assurance, of knowing that he has got you to the very end. Folks, we talk so much about the last days, and I believe it with all my heart. But you need to understand your position and who you are in Jesus. And that comes from repentance and allowing him to redeem you and rebuild you and to make you a new creature all again. Tonight, or whenever you're hearing this message, let me tell you, it's not too late. You haven't sinned too bad. You haven't committed the unpardonable sin because the majority of people have no idea what that even is. The truth is, if you will cry out, 
he will come running. This is Brother Frank on the Remnant Call saying good night and shalom. Trumpet in Zion, someday.